The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 6 of the Retail Therapy Podcast, proudly brought to you by American Express. In today's retail landscape, it's vital to understand the nuance and intricacies of diversity, equality and inclusion. It isn't just a buzzword, but a powerful force driving innovation and change across the sector. In each episode this season, we'll be focusing on the specific branch of the DNI tree, speaking to pioneers and leaders in their respective fields. Joining me for some retail therapy focusing on diversity, equality and inclusion is Natasha Stott-Despoyer, one of the country's most recognised gender equality advocates. Natasha is a former Senator for South Australia, using her platform to advocate for gender equality and the prevention of violence against girls and women. She's the founding chair of Our Watch, a national leader in the prevention of violence against women and their children, and she's worked tirelessly to embed gender equality in the lives of Australians, and I can't wait to hear her story today. Natasha, welcome. Thank you very much, Paul. Lovely, very generous introduction. Uh, Natasha, now you've done it all. So let's say that you, you know, I'm a big fan of all the work that um, you've done to date. But um, and and I'm not sure my introduction could even do you justice. So tell us a bit about your journey and what motivated you to become such a fierce advocate for gender equality. Oh goodness! Look, I'm the product of a single parent household. You know, I grew up with a very feisty, strong mum, a professional journalist, but uh, one that happened to have a disability. So my mum is deaf. And so she taught me, like literally from an early age, to stand up and speak up for the things that I believe in. So I was always encouraged wow. to, you know, think about the world critically, not always, you know, believe what you read or hear or see. And that led me to a lot of sort of social justice causes, uh, not for the sake of it, but because I'm passionate about equality and opportunity for everyone in our society. But particularly, I was conscious of some of the disadvantages and discriminations that women face, not just in Australia, but around the world. Uh, And so in some small way, I hope in my political life, um, I've had the opportunity to address uh, some of those issues through policy or through uh, activism or um, obviously through parliamentary work. But it's certainly been ingrained in me, imbued in me, the idea that uh, people should have equal opportunities. And I guess the other area of my passion, Paul, was education. You know, it's the great equaliser. So as soon as I turned up on campus at University of Adelaide all those years ago, I knew that uh, anything that was a barrier to publicly funded and accessible education was a problem, particularly for traditionally disadvantaged groups. So that's probably where I got my political stripes and uh, ended up uh, at a relatively early age as a member of the Australian Parliament. But that seems a long time ago now. (laughs) (laughs) Can I understand a little bit more about your relationship with your mother, given there might would have been lots of um, barriers to communication? How did you overcome those? Uh, so my mum went deaf in her 20s. So uh, she is got brilliant speech and she's also a canny lip reader. And that's something that I learnt from her. At least it was a 
not to her skill level, but I tell you what, it was really a bonus when you're in the Senate and you could lip read colleagues saying some <laughs> interesting things. Uh, and uh, but uh, I mean, obviously, that's a lighthearted sort of reflection. But certainly, um, you know, my mum is extraordinary in, in her abilities and, uh, you know, is pioneering journalist in, in this state and more broadly. Uh, and as I say, that advantage of being able to have access to ideas and politics yes. and the arts and creativity. So we always joke we didn't have money, but uh, oh my gosh, we had a house full of books because she was also literary editor for a period of time. So again, you know, so important and such a huge influence in terms of knowing the world around you. And I might say, not just, you know, accepting what I was told or read or, you know, what was explained to me, but actually I was encouraged to think differently, to challenge myself. And to this day, you know, I really am passionate about civil discourse. So even if we don't agree on an issue, let's talk about how we can get to a place where there's some level of compromise or understanding. Now, Natasha, we're fortunate to have you on the ARA DNI Advisory Committee. Um, and you've got an insight from sitting in that advisory committee about the retail industry more so than you did before you started. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the role of gender diversity in the leadership of re retail companies and how do you think that um, retail, the retail industry can improve in this area? Well, I think every sector and industry can improve. And, you know, if you look at my former profession of politics when it comes to not just numbers and diversity um, but culture. But I have to say I've been absolutely so impressed in awe of the work that you and your colleagues have been doing in what can be really tough area of not just discussion, but in terms of policy and structures and again, culture. So I think the symbolism of, you know, committing to a statement that supports and promotes gender equality, but beyond that, actually looking at substantive opportunities for change, I've been really honoured, privileged to be a part of it. I think I'm probably surplus to requirements now, as they say in the retail sector, because <laughs> I think there's not only comprehension, but a real passion. And I think when you talk about specifics and you know, what can be done, well, there are so many things, you know, it's not just implementing policies that might support, you know, more flexible, you know, work and family provisions or ensuring your company or practice has domestic violence leave, paid parental leave, all of those things. We understand now it's also about the culture of respect. Yes. And yes. as your colleagues will know better than I do now, you know, there is now a positive duty on uh, employers to ensure that you have respectful workplaces that don't allow for discrimination or sexism or sexual uh, harassment. So there's a lot that has to be done to get better. And for your sector, I mean, again, you know this better than I do. You've got a female-dominated workforce, but that's not reflected in senior positions, obviously yes. male-dominated CEOs and senior leadership roles. But you've got this, I presume, majority female consumer base still. You know, Definitely. your consumers, Definitely. you know, tend to be female. So why wouldn't you reflect and represent their concerns and their interests? Apart from the fact it's good for business. Yes. You know, we know diversity and inclusion as well as gender equality is good for business. Innovation, effectiveness, productivity. You know, I always talk about the fact that it has a beneficial impact right down to, you know, profit and loss. You know, it is just extraordinary. So there are lots that people can do, but I talk about culture a lot because I know that that's the hardest things, thing to change and it really 
takes commitment. Well, actually, the, the fact too, what you, that that's, comes with such passion and pride. And thank you very much for those um, kind words you've said about what we're trying to achieve with the industry. We've got a way to go. 75% of shopping, discretionary shopping is done by women. So there's a real vested interest to make sure that we, we move the dial. I'm going to um, come back to politics a little bit and discuss that with you, Natasha, given your background. How do you think policymakers and the governments, what can they do to, to – produce better outcomes for gender equality in businesses, do you think? I think work together. I think when business and uh, industry works with government, you see better outcomes. And this is reflected in a, an index I was looking at the other day about trust. We don't have trust in media. We don't have trust in government or politics. But in the last few years, people trust business as the most ethical and competent institution to help us with some of the, I guess, most difficult issues of our age, be it climate change or discrimination or diversity. So the other factor in that um, poll or that trust index showed that when business and industry worked with government, people had more faith in all institutions. So whether it's policies that acknowledge, support, maybe reward businesses that are doing good work in diversity and inclusion, but gender equality specifically, obviously there are policies now around positive duty to provide a respectful workplace. But there's no point in insisting on that unless you're going to support business and industry to actually, you know, implement policies and understand what's required. And obviously, there's policies around gender pay gap. And I do strongly support, you know, and encourage the retail sector to look at those issues. You know, are you proactively addressing the gender pay gap, but more than that, the superannuation pay gap? But these things can be done in partnership. Um, I think uh, as a former legislator, I understand that, you know, carrots and not sticks are some of the um, best ways to get yes. uh, organisations to improve. Um, doesn't mean you don't uh, call out those that aren't doing the right thing. But as I say, I think the goodwill is there. I just think uh, working together sometimes could be more beneficial than um, uh, some of the, not animosity, but maybe some adversity. Yeah, good. Raise some good points there. I'm just uh, um, thinking about when, as you're talking too, you would be observing as a shopper as well, and you've got insights by sitting on this advisory committee. Um, and we know that many retail companies have made public commitments to gender equality and women's empowerment. But have you? Is there any examples of successful initiatives or best practices that stand out to you that you believe other retailers could learn from? Well, luckily enough, you've had a gender symposium that's actually <laughs> fresh in your reflected mind. some great case studies. And I think, you know, there are examples and people will, I guess, predictably think of, oh, well, there's got to be work and family provisions or there's gender pay gap or, you know what, some of it actually boils down to the symbolism and making that actually work. So leadership's key and some of the best programs uh, that we've looked at, you know, whether it's the, you know, super retail group, rewarding and supporting leaders within their organisation, within the company, to support gender equality and promote policies that work, or whether it's, um, you know, something like Mecca, you know, working yes. to reduce the superannuation pay gap, or whether it's Kmart that's looked at, okay, we're going to insist on a 40-40-20, you know, split when it comes to gender throughout all our stores. You know, I've been really impressed with some of those examples. I think Cotton On has been one that I've been really fascinated by, this genuine commitment 
to flexible arrangements, but work and family in particular, and making sure that there's everything from kids' holiday programs to childcare provision. So, you know, they're all available for you and your colleagues to look at. So I think, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel, are we? There are great opportunities. But again, goodwill is one thing. Um, You've got to be committed. And it's not enough to be committed in that sort of symbolic way of a statement, although that's important, you've actually got to walk the talk and it comes from leadership. If you have a board that doesn't reflect your principles in relation to gender or diversity, then that's a problem. It sends a message throughout your company to all your, you know, competitors, but also to your um, employees. And that's a problem. So leadership roles, similarly, um, who's in your leadership roles? And of course, this is not only about reflecting men and women equally or non-binary colleagues as well. It's actually about diversity being reflected and represented throughout our society and in retail, you know, as well. Mm. Now, Now, retail marketing often also plays a role in perpetuating gender stereotypes. You would see that. What steps can retailers take to promote more inclusive and empowering portrayals of women in their advertising and branding? Ah, well, just make sure they are reflected and represented in a way that's not stereotypic, Um, whether that's traditional gender stereotypes in terms of roles that women and men supposedly perform, or whether it's how people are portrayed in terms of, you know, oh, Shequel, didn't they give a great presentation to the gender symposium? I was just replay that in my mind. Oh, look, and they were telling us, you know, probably stuff that we already know if Mm. we watch some ads or we're aware of, you know, the way the sectors work. 62%, I think it was, of um, the clever character in in ads in Australia today are male. I think it's something like men are two to three times more likely than women to play the funny character in an advertisement, whereas women tend to be used for, you know, they're objectified or they're a bit more sexual. There's, you know, it's about what they look like. But I think there's been great progress. Um, You know, it's no longer, you know, a car advertisement that features only a bloke as going to buy a car or similarly, you know, detergent and household products. You know, they're not just marketed uh, to women. You know, there's I think progress is taking place, but I also know that we all have that sort of unconscious, you know, stereotype, you know, that bias that sometimes we feel, oh, why would you have a woman in a much more powerful position? Or, you know, why would you portray a man in this particular way? And so I think for some of us, we've all got to address our own biases and, um, you know, that takes time. But, you know, the simple answer to that, just reflect the diversity of the population in your ads and you know what mm. i bet it sells well it's sort of interesting isn't it because it's a rule of thumb for most things that it comes down to even your, your management team uh, and your boards have got to be reflective of the customers that you're serving so it comes back to that rule of thumb that goes across everything that we do i think yeah and it's it's really fascinating to see the impact that those stereotypes can have. I mean, people might say, oh, come on, you're drawing a really long bow. You know, what's the problem if you put girls in pink outfits and in a, you know, uh, a catalogue for selling products, you only get the girls playing with dolls and the boys playing with, you know, Star Wars figurines. It actually does have an impact. We know that the evidence base is really clear. Those stereotypes to which we subject young people from the moment they're born actually has an impact on how society functions, how we 
see ourselves in terms of what opportunities are available to us educationally, in terms of employment. And again, it's not a long bow to draw, but at the very end of that continuum, we know that some of those stereotypes play into gender inequality generally and even violence against women and children specifically. So it's actually quite serious, even though at the time you think, hey, what harm can an ad do? But it actually can have an impact. Yeah, definitely. Now, you're a global advocate as well, Natasha, and you've engaged with various international organisations. How can global collaboration initiatives, do you think, contribute to advancing gender equality specifically in the retail sector? Look, I suspect you and your colleagues are very conscious of what's happening in overseas markets, whether that's with advertising or policies and structures that can enhance diversity or gender equality specifically. One thing I do note, and I'm seeing this in some of the work that I've viewed through the United Nations, so working on the Committee to Eliminate Discrimination Against Women, you know, there are a lot of businesses now that are not only conscious of improving diversity within their ranks because of the, you know, it's the right thing to do, as well as the fact that it's the fair thing to do, um, but I'm finding consumers are really interested in organisations and companies and businesses that are doing the right thing. So that means in relation to race, and diversity, um, but also in relation to to women. So I suspect that there are a lot of everything from advertisements right through to policy and structural programs that you we can all learn from. But I wouldn't suggest that Australia is behind. I mean, I think there's no one country in the world that's achieved gender equality, including our own. But we've had some pretty impressive um, initiatives. I'd say Champions of Change is a really important one. And whether that's a Champions of Change across the nation or whether it's within your particular sectors, anything that actively supports and promotes women, the pipeline for women to get into leadership roles or goes out into schools to promote, you know, opportunities for, you know, young girls and women. I think all of those things starting earlier is important. Um, But yes, uh, I think advertising is critical and absolutely flexible um, arrangements for work. And I think that applies to all of us now, doesn't it? This is not just about women or women who may be mothers or caregivers. It's about ensuring that men, women, non-binary Australians genuinely have the opportunity to better manage their work and family. And that's something I see a lot of uh, overseas now. Um, those countries that really want to get ahead, those businesses that want to get ahead, they're doing that seriously. Mm. Now, you mentioned um, uh, an array of suite of, of really of issues and initiatives and, and opportunities for, for business more broadly outside of just the retail industry, but specifically that the retail industry can pick up. So family-friendly policies are important. You mentioned flexible working arrangements, parental leave. Are these the key policy issues, do you think, that businesses need to address? I think they are. I think gender pay gap is another one. But in terms of flexibility, um, we're more conscious of it than ever, partly because of the impact of of COVID. Um, So it has changed the way we function and the way that we work. So flexibility generally, regardless of whether or not you're a parent or caregiver, that's important to people. But we also know that the future workplaces that will be the most attractive and productive are those that are genuinely ethical and respectful. And, you know, I'm sure you see it all the time, especially when you work with younger people. You know, they want to make a difference to the world. They want something that's not just about work, so meaningful work, but they also want to be in an environment where they are respected. I think there's an expectation of that now, not only a legislated right, but I think 
you know, how you can embed that in the DNA, so in the culture of your organisation, is the, I think, the biggest single challenge. But paid parental leave is a particular, you know, passion of mine. I introduced Australia's first ever national paid parental leave legislation back in 2002. Uh, obviously, it wasn't actually supported at the time by the major parties, but um, almost, uh, a, you know, 10 years later, it was. And so, was really important to me that that was a government uh, legislated right, but yes. also yeah. the impost was not on business. So I think those businesses in Australia that were ahead of the curve, they've been doing this for a long time. So I'm actually proud of some of the developments in our nation, and that includes in the retail sector, because you were among the first and the best businesses in Australia to allow paid parental leave, and that's before it was actually mandated by government. Mm. I'm going to ask you about, about flexi flexibility, because do you think um, that COVID, you mentioned COVID, do you think COVID helped if there was to be any positive that came out of COVID, do you think that um, COVID did push the, out the, push the glass ceiling around women being able to work from home and address that flexibility issue? It's funny you say that because while there were a lot of negatives around COVID, particularly for women and girls around the world, so those people who are already marginalised, people with disabilities, poorer people, women and girls, the most disproportionately impacted by COVID. And yet, you're right, the positives actually do relate to flexible work. So we've seen also in Australia, one of the changes was more men doing household chores uh, and, you know, looking after children um, than ever before. Um, you know, it was a, a marginal increase and women are still doing the primary roles of caregiving and also, um, you know, more likely to do household chores. But, yeah, that actually was a positive. But you're right, reframing how we view work, where we work from, um, those things have been fascinating. And please, I don't underestimate some of the frustrations for the retail sector as well. I mean, we're all hearing, hearing stories about, getting people back into workplace environments, whether that's on the, you know, um, the retail floor or whether it's, you know, into office spaces. So, you know, that dislocation has really made us think about what's important um, and how we manage the well-being of our staff, our colleagues and, um, and friends. So, yeah, it was a fascinating time. And I'm from Adelaide. I live in South Australia. So I had a very different experience perhaps to you and those in the eastern states. And mm. I don't underestimate the impact of that because, let's face it, huge impact, particularly on mental health for young people, uh, as well as the impact on businesses. Well, Natasha, on that note, um, thank you for all that you've done for the nation and are doing for the nation. Thank you for, from the women of the world because you are really a strong advocate, really proud to have you on the international um, stage representing our country when it comes to, to gender equality. Really appreciate everything you do with the ARA and thank you for being part of this Retail Therapy Podcast. I want to wish you all the very best for the future. Thank you, Paul. Now I think I might go and have some retail therapy. <laughs> Thanks, Natasha. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes.